Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, that's not kind of productions podcast. Dark Satellite Media. psychological horror film now as you could probably see those who are watching this isn't another gimmick gang sausage fest no i have brought on my beloved flatmate here beth beth incognito to discuss this film because this film needs a female perspective as well absolutely if you haven't watched it this is spoiler heavy apart from the very very end so stop go away and watch and come back for those who are still yeah, uh, yeah, this one's a good one. Um, Beth, please introduce yourself and um, to start off, give me your general impressions of what you thought of St. Maud. Okay, so let's see. Uh, introducing myself and first impressions. Yes, that's uh, two. That's two. That's, that's, that's <laughs> two different we're, points. We're going to do. But that's fun. Uh, so as for introducing myself, um, first of all, uh, yes, incognito is my real last name. Um, no, I didn't change it to that. Uh, it is Sicilian. It means the exact same thing in Italian as it does um, in, you know, as, as you would know it as the word incognito. And I do agree and think that it's pretty cool and I like it, except for the times when I've arrived at the airport ready to fly somewhere and discovered that they have cancelled my plane ticket, uh, <laughs> believing it was a fake name. <clears throat> then it is slightly less cool. Uh, so as Jean mentioned, uh, we are flatmates. This is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is our living room full of yes. some of my cool spooky dead stuff. Yes, it's a bit more fancier drop uh, backdrop than my usual bedroom that you usually see here, Sunny. So don't get used to it. It's just going to be every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my background, and I think part of why James asked me to discuss this yeah, film, yeah, not yeah, just yeah, yeah. that I am female. Uh, also, my background is in psychology, mm-hmm. and there is a lot to unpack here. I think, yeah. really, like exploring the the psychological journey of the character and yeah. what's going on, and what potential psychopathology yeah. or anything else might be 
might be present and what factors are going yeah, on there. Absolutely. Um, I think the best way to describe this is a psychological horror film, mm. certainly. Um, because it is goddamn psychological. Um, it's a very interesting film, just to put it in a light way. Uh, there's been religious-based horror in the past, The Exorcist, etc., but it's always someone is possessed by the devil or the demon. This time around, someone is possessed by God, <laughs> which is what I really like about this film, just, just off the cuff, um, out the gate, is that it's a very different approach to what we're used to as horror viewers here, mm. you agree? And especially, you know, as you were talking about religious horror in particular, normally the horror is that... It is some kind of evil uh, that comes from a religious context, be it a demon or whatever, and, and you know, the, the priest or the uh, representative of organised religion is, is the, the, the saviour, the, uh, the one who can fight the evil. In this particular film, I think to some extent religion almost is the, the, the horror or, or the source of horror, um, that, that religious obsession and um, being consumed yeah. by uh, that attachment to mm. religion mm. and religious beliefs. And uh, the religious community, religious people have problems with this film. It has caused a bit of controversy, as you can imagine, but I don't think it's, uh, it's not exploiting religion. It's not making a horror show out of religion, though. We'll go into it. It's, it's quite nuanced, as we both like to say. <laughs> yes, it's complicated. <laughs> but um, let's just do the basic uh, business, the housework here, so uh, the cities know which, uh, the details of the film that we will be discussing in detail this evening. Uh, St. Maud's 2019 British psychological horror film that is written and directed by Rose Glass in his directorial debut. She has done 10 years' worth of short filmmaking before this. Uh, for but for a feature film for a directorial debut for a first feature, this is extraordinary. Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, this is an extraordinary achievement. Chef's kiss. Um, and it is about the story of Nurse Maud. Uh, she is a hospice nurse portrayed by Morfid Clark, uh, and she is a recent convert to Roman Catholicism. She becomes obsessed with a former dancer in her care. Uh, and that is played by Jennifer Ely. I've got the name right. <laughs> Quite a few people pronounce it as Ely. Um, uh, believing she must save her soul. That's pretty much it in a nutshell, and it all kind of expands out from there. It is directed, as I said, by Rose Glass. It is written by Rose Glass. Uh, it stars Morford Clark, Jennifer Ely. They're the two main players. It's not a two-hander, but they're these two central character focuses. Mm -hmm. The cinematography, who's his first time shooting a feature film, which again is crazy because this film is gorgeous to look at. Um, ben Fordsman, edited by Mark Towns, first time editor. And the editing is also extraordinary in this. A lot of talent. Um, <laughs> and also uh, the music, which I wanted to uh, mention as well, by Adam. Janota Bazelski, if I put the Polish pronunciation correct there, um, first time scoring from as well. And it's a great score. And it's an incredible score. So, yeah, this is what really puts it into the world, the genre world of horror. I think it plays a huge mm. part of it, yeah. The, the, the tension and yes. discomfort and disquiet. Yes. Um, and the sound design and the colorists, etc. the people who um, the actual look of 
the finished product. They are very experienced. So you had a whole bunch of newbies with very experienced people in post as well. So you had that fresh energy and that expertise come to um, you know, the table and have done all done a fantastic job. Um, it is a film for production, British Film Institute as well, that's BFI, Escape Plan Productions, and I believe that's Rose Glass's own company there. And yes, this is uh, presented by A24. So off the bat, if you like Hereditary, you like Midsummer, you like The Witch, that sort of thing, I think you'd like this film. It's really you're a pretentious horror story. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> All right, that's that. Um, if you want to find out more get on youtube you know where to go to do your deep dives um in terms of the production of the film and we're going to go more into the psychology of it today because it hasn't been discussed in detail and that's what's really surprising. fascinating about this film yeah um, yeah um just my general thoughts and impressions when i first saw this film i've watched it three times now and we, the first time we watched it together the first time we watched it together and it was on it was um, in the lounge here um, watching a projector screen and we saw a very dark version of this <laughs> so we were really taken back by the mood and the sound as well because we got uh, um, a half impression of all the images <laughs> yes, <laughs> very screen. very cheap camping projector yeah. which is not bright so yeah everything is very very dark and so a lot of fine details we didn't yeah we didn't fine. see couldn't see but we were still blown away by it and then going to watch it, um, as you saw it recently as well, I've watched it a couple of times recently, and it was just like, oh, I guess there's the extra detail, but then, like the impact did not uh, lessen whatsoever. Um, um, but got to see the cockroach. Yeah, there was a yeah. cockroach. There were, there were various things that yeah. I did not see the yeah. first time we watched it, um, but on the second viewing on a yeah. television screen, yeah. <laughs> much, uh, much more detail. Yeah, um, just a little bit of trivia before we go deep. Um, the cockroach's name is Nancy. And um, it was, it did have a friend called Sid, but Sid died. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a shoot, that's real. <laughs> that is an excellent piece of trivia. Um, well, we can start there actually. Why not? Let's start with the cockroach. Um, the cockroach represents God. Because in the very first uh, shot, very first scene, if you will, we have uh, Maud, who is called Katie, mm -hmm. kidding. Uh, she is basically in a hospital room of a theatre, uh, and she is lying down, traumatised looking in the corner of the room in the dark shadows, uh, soft light on her face. There is a patient on the bed who is dead, the hair, which becomes a huge motif, hanging down off the hospital gurney. She sees the cockroach, she sees Nancy slash God up on the ceiling. Yeah, and then, but, and then I think if I remember rightly, born St. Maud. Yes. I'm not sure of the exact order, but that's the first scene, yeah. Yeah, and there is, uh, there's a bit of sort of uh, over-the-top um, monologue or, or uh, get some speaking that's happening, which uh, is, I guess, the cockroach, uh, which is then repeated later on in, in the film, which is um, sort of explaining, I guess, uh, you know, God speaking to, mm -hmm. it's, it's a monologue of, on, on the part of God, mm -hmm. uh, the cockroach mm -hmm. <laughs> speaking, speaking to more. Yeah. Uh, um, 
And um, and then now, uh, Katie, after this, this is basically, I bring this up because this is the initial cause of her trauma, yeah, of, and it, she changes her name to Maud, which means battle-weary. Katie means pure, uh, means basically generically, uh, means pure, and then uh, not battle-weary, but, um, sorry, my apologies, um, it is... Uh, um, uh, battle, what's the not battle weary, but um, battle ready. Um, a great battler, Maud, right, uh, like yeah, a warrior, a warrior. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Maud. Uh, so she's changed her name after this initial traumatic event. Yeah, um, and then she goes to uh, basically care for Jennifer Ely's character, who is Amanda, who was a famous uh, dancer on Broadway, and now has. Oh, do you remember the name of the uh, stage program exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and in her home, and basically she's living out her past days and being cared for until then to create as much comfort, comfort as possible, a hospice nurse as Maud comes along. Um, yeah. Uh, what did you think um, going from Katie to Maud at the start? Um, and uh, I mean, like, what were your impressions of the character at the beginning of Maud? I don't think, if I recall correctly, it's made completely explicit um, mm. that in the first scene we're seeing Katie and, and not... No, no, no. no we don't learn until we later. Don't, we don't learn until later that she's But we do Katie. see yeah. initially, you know, this young woman who's experienced some kind of horrific trauma mm -hmm. uh, in in her job's a nurse. She's got blood all over her face. Yes. You know, there's just this, that awful stillness that comes yeah. after something yeah. horrible. Um, it was that, it was really interesting for me watching this a second time because the way that I reacted to Maud as a character and how I felt about her um, was very different the second time. So in the first viewing, uh, you know, I was kind of like, don't know if I really liked her as yeah, a character. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because she is incredibly awkward and, uh, you know, quite pious and self-righteous mm -hmm. and all of this. Uh, and so that was, yeah, the first time through it was like, you know, why is there such a stick up your butt kind of thing? Um, even though I did have sympathy for her. But the yeah. second time I watched it, uh, I just felt nothing but sadness and, and and compassion for her as as a character and, and her struggle with I guess becoming Maud and transforming herself mm -hmm. to try and mm -hmm. escape from her past and maybe um because she used to be a bit of a party girl. Yeah. Um yeah. You know, perhaps a sense that this this awful thing that happened, which is never completely explained what it was, yeah. that maybe she feels that that was somehow that, that was her fault mm -hmm. and and you know that it was punishment maybe for um being how she had been and was mm -hmm. part of why she mm -hmm. shifted to become this pious new person yeah yeah i mean she is yeah it's interesting because you go from the traumatic event to her asking god to uh basically give her more purpose like i'm not that i am she doesn't complain to God about um, being a hospice nurse, palliative care. It's very honourable. 
no more work, but she does want more. She is looking basically for someone to save when she really wants to save herself. Because as you say, like there is a transformation to Maud. Um, and she used to be a party girl, which we do discover later on. Um, and that conflict within herself is, uh, what's the word? It's kind of emphasized. Uh, slowly cajoled by the character of Amanda. Because mm. Amanda um, is someone who basically enjoys life. She's she was, hedonistic. She's hedonistic. And, like, and, and when you see her that she's dying of cancer, um, just like, you, of course you are, of course, please, you know, um, you know, but if you, she smokes constantly, she slams down the cigarettes <laughs> even though she does have cancer. She what does like to drink. She um, takes partners from both sexes as well, but it's not, but you, the, the way it's presented, it's not in a way like she's out to destroy herself or kill herself before the cancer mm -hmm. can. She's just trying to get as much out of life before death takes her. Um, Every drop of joy. Absolutely. She can ring from absolutely. And um, and Amanda, um, she does see, she does realize, reckon, uh, cotton on that uh, Maud's conversion to Catholicism is, is recent mm -hmm. as well, and uh, and she doesn't uh, mock her for it. She um, she she shows she's respectful almost, you know, pretty much towards her. She'll turn the TV off when. Um, or saying grace and that sort of thing. And she even plays along in a nice way as well, because um, Amanda wants a friend as well, as much as Maud wants coming yep. as well. So they kind of found each other at the start. And at, and at the start, it is quite friendly and nice between them. Agree? Yeah, it's it's quite a quite a lovely, tender really, yeah. relationship that, yeah. that develops there initially. They're both incredibly vulnerable for, for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, and I think at heart, they, they're both... Um, you know, compassionate people, or at least have an understanding of, you know, the suffering of others, and that need for connection, yeah. which is a huge theme. I, I thought when I was oh. uh, rewatching the desperate need for yeah. for connection. Yeah, I um, agree with you. And I can go on a big tangent here. I don't know if that's if this is the right time to start that um, tangent. Or well, if you want to, absolutely, because I think what the real more than this film being horrific, this film is deeply sad. Oh, yes. Uh, and loneliness, the sadness that loneliness can cause is, is at the heart of this film. Yeah, it, it just guides everything about it. But please, if you want to, absolutely. Oh, oh I will. Uh, and I will before I do, though, say on my second viewing, um, and I didn't expect it, when I got to the very end of the film, I just started sobbing. Okay. <laughs> I was just okay. Yeah. You know, so you know, just I guess for grief yeah. for for Maud and, and her journey and her isolation and all this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so connection. I think that is what is a lot of what's driving everything that happens in this film. So even right at the start um, and then later when you hear God give this speech again, uh, you know, um, it's sort of saying about, uh, what's he saying? Um, that, you know, all your life you've known this is sort of a game and you're searching for something more and you just wanted to, to touch uh, and, and to reach out and to be a part of. And so this this isolation and Maud is a very awkward character 
you know, you do see many times she tries to interact and communicate with other humans yes. and that anxiety and introversion and, and yeah. lack of self-worth and everything in her makes it very difficult for her to connect. And I'm sure, you know, I, I can <laughs> I can relate as being a good leader. But I think that that's where a lot of, where her vulnerability to get sucked in to her religious obsession um, comes from. So, you know, that if you can't have connections with humans, other humans, then at least having a connection with God is, is, is some kind of con uh, connection. And it's also about her desperate striving to find meaning and purpose in, in the world. So, um, you know, she does uh, engage in quite a bit of um, self-harm, um, which is performed as uh, self-mortification. So what that is is things like self-flagellation yeah. and sort of those, that religious self-harm. And she says several times, too, around not wasting your pain. Yeah. yeah. So with turning to religion and this, this obsession that she develops, that gives meaning to her suffering. Yeah. So now, you know, all of the suffering that she's experienced, and I get the impression that, you know, she probably didn't have a great childhood either, like up to that point. I, I think she's considered that. Had a good time. Mm. But I'd say you're correct <laughs> with that assumption. Yeah, if it was social awkwardness even to begin with. Um, even as Katie, I imagine, I mean, like, not saying that everyone who goes out and parties constantly, you know, but a lot of the time, you know, debauchery, um, you know, can, doesn't necessarily come from a good place. It's a way of escaping things, let's just say that, yeah. And, um, and she does go on to escape reality in a different fashion once she becomes more so following that causality. Yeah, within the film, I, I agree with you. Well, with, as well, you know, when God is speaking to her, um, Nancy the Cockroach, <laughs> um, they, they mention that, you know, mom, dad, all of that, you know, that it doesn't. Yeah. It, 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 it's not what's important. Yeah, that's true. As that's true. her relationship with the other, the other nurse yeah. from her job, yeah. you know, she says at one point, like, oh, I, I never thought you liked me. And so there's the impression there that even, you know, when she was normal, Katie, mm -hmm. working as a nurse in the hospital, that she was kind of on the outer, you know, not part of the social circle and so all of that awkwardness it's interesting it's interesting because she does try and more to as you're saying to you know to socialize um to be a part of amanda's world mm. anyway um which is difficult for her because amanda is a natural born social butterfly and you know she's part of broadway she's part of the new york theater scene like the elite side of all of that as well from the parties that she has there um, and um, and she yeah and but it's very difficult for her even though yeah it's the clash of the personalities there as well because Amanda so more doesn't do herself any favors when trying to ingratiate herself 
with Amanda, yeah, mm-hmm. because there's the whole, yeah, you know, like when Amanda has her female caller yes. as well, and then Maud becomes quite pious yes. <laughs> towards and, and judgmental. her. Judgmental. Yes, as you were saying, like in the first viewing, you go, well, what's, 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 mm. what's, what's your problem? Yeah, you how is that I mean? any of your business? You yeah, know. yeah. But as you go deeper, you, you begin to see that she really doesn't want anyone Amanda to have anyone else but her because this is her divine purpose. And, and a big triggering, if I can use that word, um, motivation towards that is when Amanda gives her the William Blake book mm. and writes in it, My Lord, My Savior, or something along those lines as well, which I thought was a very interesting choice because um, not only does Maud begin to physically emulate, like when she's praying, like with the angels, some of the paintings, mm. Blake's paintings that she um, sees in the book, but uh, also Blake, I don't know if you know, when he was like 12 years old, he had visions of tree, burning trees full of angels and he was castigated and not physically punished by his parents for having these visions, you know what I mean? And then having uh, Blake and Maud, you know, together. Kindred spirits. Kindred spirits, shall we say, absolutely. And also you're talking about um, Katie slash Maud, party girl to Saint and... In the middle of that, if you will, metaphorically, is the saint that she wears around her neck being Mary Magdalene. Mm, which is an interesting choice. Not Mary, but Mary Magdalene. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of Mary Magdalene? Well, it's only mentioned sort of in passing, um, but it does stand out. And I think it's of all of the saints that could have made sense for Maud as a character, you know, who she's been. And I'm going to just say Maud and include, you know, Katie's past sure. in that just okay, okay, ease. Yeah. Um, that you know, so Mary Magdalene was this uh, woman who was you know allegedly a sex worker and so um, someone who would have been shunned by the more like highly pious types mm-hmm. and, and such. So mm-hmm. and she became a disciple of uh, Jesus. Yes, so she was you, there first at the resurrection. Like, as, is, as it is written, mm. you know what I mean? So she does walk those two worlds as seen in those two lights as well, if you, if you know what I mean. And uh, and then Maud also likes how Blake was against organised religion as well as being a highly religious person, you know what I mean? Organised religion, uh, what was the quote? Something about how it, um, yeah, it, it, it is not compatible with like genuine spirituality. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what's following her own rules? That's <laughs> what we could say. Yeah. Yes, she's got her, her own, own book. Yeah. her own sort of version of, of or interpretation of Christianity. There. Yeah. That being said, when I was doing a little bit more research around some of the things that she does, I don't think there's really anything in there that isn't a behaviour or um, phenomena that you would find in general, general like, um, authorised uh, religious leaders. So, for example, I was reading an article just earlier today uh, where one of the, like, a website that's for Roman Catholics and disseminates information there a news article in that they had released was around acknowledging that pope john paul ii i think engaged in self-mortification so again that is 
basically religious self-harm mm -hmm. right yeah uh, with the idea being that you know it brings you closer to yes. um, closer to the suffering of jesus yes. and also it's around um you know killing off the sins of of the flesh in yourself um through pain and suffering and this article was talking about how it's important to be careful with you know, like self-mortification absolutely has its place in religion, but it should be done very carefully and, and with spiritual guidance because it huh. can be dangerous and it can easily become pathologized. Huh. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting. Even the church recognizes the dangers of that. Um, that being said, uh, yeah, Lord has her own kind of take on Christianity, but I'd say for the most part, the only reason why it isn't sort of your more standard one is that she isn't part of a, uh, a group. Yeah, okay, interesting, interesting. Um, she has a very unique relationship with God, the way she communicates with God, I think it's important to mention. And we're talking about um, physicality here with uh, religious self-harm, self-mortification, what was it, self-mortification, correct, yes. Uh, because they started off saying that this is a movie by someone, there's someone possessed by God and it's all very cerebral. It's actually shown physically, well, suggested <laughs> physically uh, throughout the film. Now, this is Rose Glass's terms that she uses to describe these moments, the god -gasms. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the director's term, yeah. analogy. I like it. Yeah, god -gasms. and um uh, I'm not sure if it's the first one, can't quite remember, but she does share a god gaze with Amanda, which is a bonding moment. Yeah? It's not the first, but it okay. is. Yeah. Um, and uh, first of all, what, what, what they are basically is you see it's almost uh, deriving sexual pleasure in the presence of God being within her. Mm. Yeah, this is pretty much how she describes it. And the way it's shown on film is absolutely fantastic. The CGI work is superb. Um, it's the physicality of Morford Clark's acting mm. mixed with, uh, you notice how the bottoms of the lips will start to just melt a little, go down a little bit more than natural face would just start to come down a little bit more than humanly realistic. I didn't yeah, 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 maybe, yeah. maybe because my TV is too far away from where I sit to watch it. And, and then again, with, and then with the editing, which is absolutely superb, because it poor goes too deep into the psychosis to say, yes, this is psychosis, and it's cut off each time and throughout Maud is this actually being possessed by God or was this also psychosis cuts just at the right time to leave that kind of ambiguity. the ambiguity yeah because you walk the line of those two suggestions that she's possessed by God or that she's actually crazy right up to the very very mm -hmm. end and that's what was Rose Glass is the director's intention that was her main through line as a goal as a director and I think she pulled it off beautifully absolutely yeah. like she walks that line so finely yeah. that you're never completely certain as yes. the viewer, yeah. which it is. Even yeah. if you might have leanings one way or the mm. other, mm. you know, then something will happen. You're like, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe it's the other way. Yeah. Uh, but the did you have something no, please. to say? No, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, talking about her experiences of the presence of God, which is you know, she explains that that's how she knows she's she's on the right track. She's doing the mm -hmm. right thing. Mm -hmm. She 
experiences this uh, this presence of God, and it is very much a religious ecstasy. Yeah, there we go. Yes, is again yeah. something that um, that you can see out there. There are you know some paintings, quite famous, you know, like uh, Pre-Raphaelite and much earlier paintings depicting religious ecstasy. And by all accounts, um, it does seem almost sexual <laughs> yeah. there as well. So yeah, she's having these experiences of God where if you didn't know better, if you saw the scene out of context, you would think that she was having a purely sexual experience. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, when, and then when we get into self-modification as well, looking at the flagellants in history, pain, pleasure, you know, dichotomy as well, does kind of walk that line that it could be, you know, you know, not to get pinhead. <laughs> <laughs> A Cenobite-like on it here. Um, but it does suggest, I'm just making a link here with the godgasms and her own, uh, her own physical penance that she goes through as well. It's all within her psychosis as well. Um, it's all within her relationship that she shares with God or how she frames that relationship, you know what I mean? Um, so for her, the pleasure of the godgasm um, and her putting the thumbtacks into the little religious picture and putting it on his yes. shoe and standing <laughs> like she's on her way uh, to Calvary to be crucified, you know what I mean? Through Blackpool. Uh, Blackpool um, in England, this is where it's shot, yes. I mean, there was a thing, is a thing, uh, an act of self-mortification where you might um, put pebbles in your shoe mm -hmm. uh, for that discomfort, or we see her at another point put down popcorn, popcorn bags, yeah, um, when she before she kneels, yeah. um, and that's another thing you might see, but yet she takes it to a new extreme. Yes. I, yeah. I think... I don't think she gets any sexual pleasure that there's any sort of masochism or anything going on there. I think that a lot of her self-mortification uh, and a lot of how she relates to Amanda and the judgment that she has is around the rejection of uh, the sins of the flesh, as it were, in herself. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. That is true. Yes, there is that division there. You are correct. Yes. Uh, but a relationship with God is, uh, it is physical as well as uh, cerebral though, as well. Oh, yeah, it, does, it does go to those, uh, to those extremes from one end to the other, whether it's pleasure or it's pain, they're not necessarily conjoined, no, you are correct uh, there. Um, uh, so where did the yeah. thought go? <laughs> Um, the godgasms are great. They're, they're very well done. Um, when you notice the light breathing as mm. well, uh, when she's going up the staircase yes. as well, you notice the breathing lights by the lighting people there. That was superbly well done. Uh, and also the way that uh, we talked about the motif of uh, the hair, the, they call it the pose, Rose Glass called it the pose. Mm. Um, it was the 
the dead hospital patient at the very start. You see uh, one of them uh, painting for one of Amanda's shows. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the William Blake painting that comes up, one of the William Blake paintings that comes up again. And then when she collapses on the ground as well, which was actually improvised and done spontaneously because of production constraints, it just fell like that naturally. Yeah, right. oh, um, wow. Her hair, like that was, which was used as a poster mm. for the film as well, one of the posters. Um, so the, um, the physicality of Norfolk Clark as well as you know, production crew there. And as well as the type of synchronicity, even like the sign from God, they were whispering to each other, does God actually want us to make <laughs> uh, this film? And also when she's walking down the beach at the very end and she has her robes on her as well, mm -hmm. the costume designer went to fashion something a bit more tailored, if you will, mm -hmm. but they just threw it on her to start before they started, you know, um, sewing it up and shaping it. Uh, but when it fell on, everyone just went, whoa, because, yeah, <laughs> she does have that saint-like mm. draping <laughs> of yes. the material to start. So there's all that in play. Um, now, the uh, where were we going with the physicality? We've um, shown how basically it's not cerebral. It, it is cerebral as well as physical. It does go from the extremes of pain to pleasure, whether she is happy to have God's uh, presence within her or she needs to show penance towards her. So there is a whole train of thought that I had uh, around this. Uh, and it's something which really came even more to head after watching uh, Rose Glasses to short films. <laughs> so a common theme that I interpreted there was around um, the forbiddenness of female sexuality. Right, so women, females are not meant to be overtly sexual we're not we're not really permitted to as it were the whole madonna horror complex in the two short films that i watched um and i don't know how much can we spoil yeah that's fine yeah we spoil the <laughs> excellent so in room 55 we have this you know very uptight sort of 1950s housewife uh, or 40s even, you know, yeah. very demure, very self-disciplined, very controlled and constrained, and she has uh, an unexpected experience of um, engaging in uh, bondage mm -hmm. and shibari, and it's shown in some quite beautiful scenes where, uh, you know, mm -hmm. there's this cut back and forth between her uh, suspended in shibari and being underwater and like this, this freedom that comes there uh, and this, this freedom in, in submission and, and restraint. And I was thinking on that and thinking about, you know, uh, being sexually submissive is not that uncommon uh, in women. And watching this film made me think about it a little bit deeper and when being sexually submissive, that is a circumstance where the expression of female sexuality is allowed because you're not acting out sexually. It's something happening to you, right? Mm -hmm. So, so you're, you're sort of giving up agency, which then gives you permission to mm -hmm. be sexual. Okay, okay. Right? Do, do, do you see yeah, what I'm I did, with that? I did. You like that? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, and then in moths, we have this, uh, this sort of peephole scenario. So you've got these two um, you know, people who live sort of side by side and they have a wall between them. And there's, there's a little hole in the wall and on one side of the wall, there is a man living alone. On the other, there's a woman, a woman living alone. And she has a picture on the wall on her side, which she can choose to take off, mm-hmm. revealing the hole and uh, therefore allowing her neighbour to sort of look in on her. And she looks in on him as well. <clears throat> and there's this kind of almost game played there where she will do things that, you know, might be seen as... Uh, sexually titillating, like in one scene, she sort of makes sure that she has his attention while she's shaking her legs. Um, you know, another time she, she's dancing almost like she's going to do a bit of a strip tease. But in that it's sort of this voyeuristic scenario, she could have the defence of, you know, I wasn't being overtly sexual, I was just doing my own thing. Um, I, I can pretend I didn't know that I was being watched. So again, that's somewhere where yeah. she okay. find, finds a loophole where she can be sexual and sort of deny accountability, if, if you like. Mm-hmm. And then with Maud, we have, with her godgasms, as it were, yeah. here's another example of something which seems to be quite clearly sexual, which is excused away, because it's not sexual, it's actually just experiencing yeah. the presence of God. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, because when the um, uh, everyday sexuality she is confronted with, she is very uncomfortable with it, even though you can see it yearning uh, towards uh, towards it as well, because there is a, there's a hint of an attraction towards mm-hmm. Amanda as well, and vice versa as well. Um, and then when you see um, she uh, basically falls from grace for a moment as well, when she goes back to her old way, old ways for a brief amount of time before she you know before there's the revelation um but it causes her to go into isolation after trying to be a part of the social world to try and uh, take part in everyday sexuality mm-hmm. if you will um then she goes into the beds yeah because um there's that moment at the party where they dress her up like mm-hmm. an actual saint yeah and then Amanda basically almost blasphemed. Well, Maudsley is certainly, uh, you know, she, for Amanda, she almost verbally blasphemes towards God and, and um, what snaps her. Yeah. yeah. And um, and then basically the, the zealot is starting to grow within mm. Lord. Yeah. And then she isolates like, isolates like a hermit in a cave <laughs> to her bedsit. So she's gone from Amanda's home to the bedsit. And that's where things really start to amplify and the uh, delusion and the ambiguity begin to amplify. Absolutely. Yeah. She has a crisis of faith and yes. you know, uh, goes out into the, the human world of the flesh, uh, yeah. seeking you know, yeah. sort of yeah. human yeah. Yeah. connection yeah. instead. Yeah. Awkward as yeah. anything, can't connect, yeah. and has a couple of sexual um, encounters, which, are, you know, just from you can immediately see they're very unsatisfying and not really anything about her getting anything mm-hmm. beyond perhaps um, using sex as a way to try and have again that connection with yeah 
it's set up as well that, that the uh, sexual encounters that she has, the, the connection she tries to make, but it's in a world within the world of Blackbourne seaside mm. town. It's a very seething <laughs> underbelly of a town and a pub. It's not made to look attractive or appealing or comforting <laughs> by any means. And um, I mean, you know, like um, she takes agency, if you will, of the first sexual encounter, but then there's the second sexual encounter. Um, you can see how this she messes her up even more. So it's agency. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, and even then, in the first one where she does have agency, you know, um, I'm just going to say, she, she, she's giving a hand job. Like, you know, yes, she has control on the situation, but there's nothing that she's getting out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sexually, at least. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then um, basically she's gone back to the guy's place. Mm. Um, and she is in the sexually dominant position. You can see her being um, dominant within the sexual act, like she's batting the guy's hands away. Um, and then, this is important um, to point out, uh, she, I think I'm sure she has the hands on the chest yes. of the guy she does, and then, but, and then it flashes back to giving uh, CPR. CPR to the original patient who who we are showing that she actually killed um, while she was the same graphic detail, but mm. in this moment in her delusion, you see her caving the patient's yes. chest. In. <laughs> Which is quite shocking when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And then we go, ah, back to the beginning. That's what happened to the first patient. And that has put her on this, uh, this uh, complex lesson journey. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, as far as uh, empathy towards Maud, it is also explained that the hospital she was working at is massively overworked and understaffed. Yes. And oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Good she was out. in a terrible position yes. where yeah. that yeah. did happen with that patient. Yeah. I, I would um, I would argue with you, though, around mm. uh, whether or not Maud was in any sort of dominant position okay. um, when she was banging the dude that she went home mm -hmm. with. Yes, she is on top, uh, and yes, she is batting his hands away, but that is, you know, as he's trying to, you know, like grab her breasts and and touch her, I guess, outside her own terms. Okay. So it's not so much that she's dominant as uh, she's very specific about what physical contact she's comfortable with here. Yeah. Like she doesn't, while she's desperate for contact uh, and, and connection, she doesn't necessarily then be there with him, yeah. I no. think. And so where he's trying to make it more intimate or whatever like she's she's like I, I don't want that part of the experience you know stop yeah. stop trying to grab me which yeah. I don't think is the same as a she was I can I know I agree with that I, yeah I understand what you are saying um connection with him is not part is not what she's after with that you know what I mean mm. um she wants connection with someone with someone <laughs> um, you see that but she's divorced mm. from any kind of like yeah connection to the guy in her mind you can see the way that the sexual act has been formed yes. so that's good. So like he's okay. basically just a yeah a body attached to the daughter um now in terms of dominance that does switch and uh into in a horrible way because she's basically raped it no, not, not basically she is raped <laughs> she does explicitly withdraw yes. consent yes um and that definitely i mean she goes back to the bedside and this amplifies the delusion, amplifies the horror. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where you see her 
Um, I believe it is meant to be that she's having an epileptic seizure in reality. Yes, uh, from my, what I've uh, researched that I've done. Um, and the fireworks are going off as well with the epilepsy yeah. as well, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 and you see, but then as well, as you play on the ambiguity, you see her levitate, <laughs> be lifted up by the good grace of God. Here's a message from the devil here playing around. Here's a one, yours. Here's a message to the fuckboy you've been keeping around. Laying the bodies out, moving the dirt. There's people gonna die, man, seen as absurd Here's a message from the devil, he ain't playing around Touched on a few things. Um, 
Morford Clark is a social, she's said it herself, she's socially inept. Yeah, she would admit that. Socially awkward. Yes. <laughs> Rose Glass is socially awkward mm -hmm. as well. Um, the creative team and impetus behind this film comes from socially awkward people who like to isolate to feel okay place. It's safe. Yeah, it's safe. We looked at, you talked about Moths in Room 55. They are all set, uh, people having stuff going on in rooms, mm. just to put it very simply, and isolated away uh, from reality, away from the, uh, the, the madness of the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maud was trying, as we said, trying to get away. Uh, she was trying to integrate herself more into society. She tried to help someone. She did her best to be a part of man's world. It was all too much. Slap on the face. You know what I mean? She goes and has tries and has a uh, connection with someone through the flesh, even the pub and that sort of thing gets all way too much, goes bad. You know what I mean? Um, that, that, I just wanted to uh, point all of that out to, because uh, that all plays part of the emotional tone of the film, as we said. The heart of this film is loneliness. And and I think as well, um, it it needs to be mentioned that as obsessed and devout as she is uh, in her faith, yeah. it is quite fragile. Um, you know, she goes yeah. through several crises of faith throughout the film, where she's like, you know, I thought you, I was doing what you wanted me to do, God. Yeah. Why has this all turned to shit? Um, and it's it's quite a fragile faith, and while being you know so all encompassing for her, and I think because it's because this is what she has hung all of her attempts to make sense and meaning of yeah. her life, her suffering, the yeah. world, yeah. Um, her self worth. Yeah, you know that you know I, I I've had these horrible things happen to me because it's part of. Um, my journey to save souls and, and to be you yeah. know, more than I was and there is such desperation in, in clinging to that faith as yes. the thing that makes all of the horrible things make sense yeah. and it's so brittle yeah. and so easily broken at the yeah. same time yeah. um, which I think when we speak of her going back to Amanda it's even more like basically yeah. pointed out there yeah. Um, and it's also important to point out this movie isn't shitting on religion. Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. It's definitely, no, no, no. It's not an um, anti religious film in that sense because she's suffered great, she's suffering from great trauma. She is in a state of delusion mm -hmm. and she's trying to communicate with the human world, yeah, um, the physical world, but she's going spiritual, she's going metaphysical to try and have that connection. You know what I mean? Um, through the recent conversion to Catholicism, to reading the William Blake book, to being told that uh, she is by Amanda, that she's the saviour. Yes, I have purpose, um, but I have failed in that purpose. I'm going to try to find it here again. I'm going to try to find it here again. To the point that there's so the need for delusion, because I'm so need for delusion, the need for purpose um, is, is so desperate and therefore that it is so brittle. Um, same time that it extends to the point that a cockroach becomes god for her if that all makes sense you know what i mean this is the extent that it's going it's more of a comment on how trauma can mess you up and how isolation and loneliness can mess you up absolutely not how religion can mess you up no yeah? Not, yeah. not at all like it's um i had a thought and then it 
went somewhere else. Um, I don't know where it went. Sorry, It'll come back. <laughs> I'll, I'll find it and I'll let you know. I will let you know when it comes yeah, back. Yeah. I was going to say about religion and not it's not shitting on religion and delusions. Um, I think maybe I've possibly caught just just almost caught its tail. Uh, religious sort of delusion for want of a better way of putting it is it's a very common one because you know we are whether we identify in western society as being religious or not we have grown up surrounded by these religious narratives mm. you know mm -hmm. they they mm -hmm. are everywhere yeah. around us yeah you know we all have, so <laughs> <laughs> well even even just you know like look at you know, like our, our major holidays, yeah. you know, Christmas and, and Easter, yeah. and these are religious festivals, and we have religious education in schools, and it's it's part of our collective psyche. So when being sort of desperate for some greater meaning, um, you're ripe to reach out to the first thing that you might think of would yeah. be sort of that uh, sort of uh, uh, Western sort of Christian religion that has been surrounding us because that's what we're told and grow up thinking of mm -hmm. as the greatest spirituality um, again in sort of western culture mm -hmm. for the most part and a, a really interesting thing that i remember learning about um back in uni and it's something that i think of still now around the definition of religion and where that fits in the psychopathology yeah, yeah. right so yeah. a lot of things that somebody would believe as a part of their faith and their religion would absolutely meet the criteria of, you know, like delusions and, and various other indicators of poor mental health. Being that it is part of a religious belief, um, discounts that it's not considered pathologically um, because it's within the context of religion. Yeah. So yeah, you know, somebody believing in God in general. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. If if it was yeah. some other mm -hmm. um deity, yeah. Uh, and they believed with the same fervor, uh, and it wasn't part of sort of an organized sort of religious or spiritual belief, mm -hmm. then that could be taken as a delusion and evidence of psychosis. That's interesting. It's the cultural context yeah. that makes it not considered something. Wow, wow. And I think this is, as a viewer, that's what creates that ambiguity, makes it even more powerful and even more effective watching it as a film mm. as well, because, yeah. We know those narratives in that context as yeah, well. Yeah, we, we do, we do, which, which um, like uh, subconsciously even uh, informs our viewing as we're taking along this ambiguity and the ambiguous tightrope as well. That's that's good. Wow. Wow, rose glass. <laughs> clever. <laughs> that's very, very clever. Um, and also it's also very tragic though as well. This administrative for this film is tragic. Um, there are people trying to reach out to her throughout this film as well. Her old friend Joy, I believe her name is Joy. Oh, friend. Very well chosen name. In quotes. Um, mm. Like they were co-workers, yeah. But there's even you know there's a scene like the first time they interact, Maud is quite kind of awkward and almost like why are you talking to me? Uh, and then when Maud calls her 
Yeah. Because she's like, she's out yeah. at that time when she's out partying. Mm. And she's like, oh, do you want to have that and drink? And she says, like, oh, I thought it was weird when you gave me your number because I didn't think you ever actually liked me. Sure. So they weren't friends. Okay. You know, okay, okay, okay. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But she, Joy does try to she connect does. with her when she visits her at the best mm. as well. And even Amanda in her own way as well. Uh, yes, there was the mocking scene at the party, dressing her up like an old-fashioned saint. Um, but there is also, you mustn't take what I say too seriously. Mm. We are just having a, a, you know, having a joke. And at the start, she is, you know, she is quite friendly to yeah. her. There is, a, there is, a, people do attempt to connect with her. But because, um, because uh, she wants to be a saint, because, you know, because of her divine purpose, that she's almost blinded to that mm. at the same time. Yeah, I think it's also a bit too little, too late. Yeah, you know, yeah, like no, I give you that. I give you that. Once bitten, twice shy. She's you know yeah. had all of this difficulty mm-hmm. with connection, and and um, when people are reaching out, are they genuine or are they just trying to sort of mock or hurt? Mm-hmm. Uh, that by the time. And even, you know, Joy, her former co-worker, never would have checked in on her if they hadn't happened to run into Yeah, other. there is that, there is that. And, and yeah. when she does come and visit her, she's like, yeah, yeah, you know, we did kind of do wrong by you back at the hospital. We yeah. knew that you were struggling and things weren't great yeah. earlier. We should have stepped in earlier. Yeah. It's, it's sort of too late yeah. at that point for any of that deeper, yeah. uh, deeper connection there. Like, she's already too wary. Yeah, yeah, and she's finding more comfort in images. She's finding more comfort in the voice of God. She's finding more comfort in what is written in dogma, something that is, seems far more solid than human connection. Yeah, certainly as, as progresses. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. again, as a way to make sense of, yes, you know, uh, yeah. on a cosmic scale, yeah. all of the suffering and trauma that she's experienced. Yeah, yeah, and not wasting her pain. Not wasting the pain. Because if it's not for a greater purpose, then she's yeah. suffered for nothing. Yeah, yeah. And I think... From nurse to saint as well, in terms of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you were talking about the great tragedy of those who reach out um, and, you know, that maybe there could have been the mm. opportunity for connection there that she was craving, um, mm. just perhaps it came too late. Uh, going back to the topic of organised religion, mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something that just occurred to me earlier as we were speaking. The one thing I think is especially sad here is often people are drawn to religion not only because it offers a sense of peace and a way to make sense of the world and, and you know, come to terms with your experience, but it offers community yeah. in, in going to you know, a church yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. And she misses that part. Yeah, she does. And if she had perhaps, you know, been going to hey. church hey. instead of being on her own, Absolutely. it would have been an entirely different journey for her. Wow, it could have. It could have as well. Mm. Even, even in her religious fervor, she is completely alone and perhaps wary or um, shunning of, of more mm. organized communal sort of religious experience yeah 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 um 
you're alone, reach out however you can, even if you have to go to church. Not a fan. There are options other than church. <laughs> there are options other than church. We're not trying to convince anyone to, no, we're not trying to, convince anyone to go to church or, 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 or to reach out in general, even if it does mean. <laughs> but as we said, this is a, we're not trying to shit on the church as a religion. No, no, no. And this film does not at all either. Even though it can be that has been construed in that way. And That's you can understand why it has been construed in that way, but it's a very simple reading of it. Right? Yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very yeah. one-dimensional. Yeah. Um, I'd say possibly haven't even actually watched the film just yeah. about um, that kind of thing. Now we um there was the horror genre moment of the uh, cockroach becoming God speaking with a spooky voice, <laughs> which really is if you look at it on a metatextual level, it is morphed to Clark speaking to Maud. It is Maud speaking to Maud, if you yes. will, will as well, yeah. Um, and then she goes to Amanda's house, where it does uh, another part where it does become genre horror-like as Absolutely. well. Um, now and ambiguous and, and ambiguous. And like, oh, is this actually? Oh, so ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah, this is legit. Let's go on to then I'll talk about Rose's glasses and tension behind having a horror genre-like in parts as well. Um, okay, there's been motifs that have been building up as well, as well as the spiral and the sky and the liquids. Um, there's been the, um, the lighter, constantly flicking yes. of a lighter. <laughs> and then we see a bottle of liquid with the fire. Full <laughs> of hydrogen peroxide and then the acetone. Yes, yes, come to play. Now she goes, she's in her, uh, her sheet robes. Yes, <laughs> she comes. <laughs> she goes up to um, see Amanda, who is on top of the hill. It's a little bit of symbolic placement mm. as well. Amanda's on top of the hill. She's down in the cave in the bedsit um, at night. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. She did talk to the new nurse and such. Well, we'll leave that. That's, yeah, that's, yeah we'll leave that. She goes and visits Amanda now at night and um, sneaks into the house, breaks into the house. Um, and uh, and Amanda, to her benefit as well, Jennifer Ely does very well. The way she communicates with Maud and actually just calculates Maud in her mind that she shows very subtly facially mm. as well was really, really good. Jennifer Ely is a fantastic actress. Um, uh, but she went, she, uh, Amanda wakes up and sees Maud there. And Amanda automatically, again, apologizes. Yeah. Sorry, I was so cruel. <laughs> just broke into my house sitting on bed all of a sudden. But that's fine. I'm just sorry there. Because Amanda, as you can tell as well at this point, from her face as well, she's not long for this world at this stage. You know what I mean? So I get that all of the little worries and stuff get thrown out the window when the Great Reapers like in the other room. Yeah, I get that. I think it's also just who Amanda is as a person. Like, yeah, she yeah, would, I, she would yeah, have agree. Yeah, would have yeah, on her. yeah, exactly, exactly. She's not the villain. No, no, no. There's no villain in this. Yeah, that's interesting. There's no real villain in this as a horror film. What do you think? Not as like a personified. Um, not as not a character. Not personified. I think the 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 villain is is. Lack of connection. The yeah. Have you ever seen that horror? Just if you will, uh, maybe you've seen a horror film that's done that before. It has that as big bad. Um, have you seen Frozen? Not the Disney movie, <laughs> which is <laughs> another type of horror film. <laughs> uh, a film called Frozen, where there are some 
people at ski slopes and they bribe the chairlift guy so that they can get one no. last run no. and they end up stuck on the chairlifts <laughs> no. like overnight in the snow freezing okay and you know it's a massive drop to get down okay so what are they going to do so again no, no villain but circumstance circumstance is the villain yeah that has, yeah that's a good way to put it and that has been done before yeah yeah okay okay it doesn't have to be a uh, no yeah, like the, the, the character or being, mm. is, is mm. but the circumstance is not physical. Mm. Supernatural is the right word, or metaphysical is the right terminology here. Because that there is a, that there is a battle against the elements as well. Mm. Yeah, psychological. So I'm saying yes, it's about, Yeah, there's the circumstances. That it's one's own mind. Like, it's one's own mind. And experiential. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, have you, have you seen the movie Frailty with Bill Paxton? Yes. Yes, there That's a good, I think, uh, companion viewing for mm. the voice of God um, guiding you in a way that's not necessarily beneficial to anyone. Speaking <laughs> of, and yep. this is completely going off on a tangent, I did not realise um, until one of my brothers, I was chatting while we were camping, uh, and that movie came up. It's actually based on a serial killer, the hand of God killer. Yes, yeah, hand of God killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the rays of light yeah. coming through the clouds, which are telling that's yeah. that's one film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, very William Blake esque uh, visions as well when the dad is under uh, the car doing the mechanic thing and he looks up with the sparks mm. and such, you know, very like, uh, I don't know, painting terms, but you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah. Um, but back on track, back on yes, track. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, okay. Um, yes. Uh, now, she has her holy water, Maud's holy water, self blessed holy water. Yeah. Mm. Which I'm like, is it actually water? Because they show well, that's the all of the bottles of you know, hydrogen peroxide and acetone and stuff. Now, why I, that's, but I don't know if you're asking because you may have observed when she does the cross, what she was doing when she was the nurse, uh, initially taking care as well, she was doing the cross with the water throughout the house. Mm. She comes and she does it on the forehead here. Yes. And we hear, did you hear this like this? And Amanda's reaction as well. Yeah, yeah, Amanda's reaction. Um, but she does verbalise that reaction a lot as well, to kind of almost disguise, to create more ambiguity, to disguise it as well. Enough of that nonsense. Stop, stop, yeah, stop. It's yeah, it's not like, I like birds. Not it's, uh, birds, but you like, do hear yeah, such a sound. So again, the genius of the sound mm. sign of this because there's scissors chopping all the way before. There's lots of sounds of yeah. scissors will get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you hear this on the forehead as well to go, hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and um, and then Amanda, which is straight from the character of someone dying, uh, oh, it's a nice person, but enough is enough. Um, you don't know how incredibly dull it is to be dying, which is a powerful statement because I, I the dullness scares me. Certainly, <laughs> the dullness of dying. I haven't been there, of course, but I can kind of empathize, is not the right word, but I can imagine what yes. that's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, actually, she is scared throughout, but she does voice that to Maud earlier on. What happens at the end? Is there just is there no one, no one, and nothing there to hold my hand and guide me through? And that's where say Maud becomes Maud, they become Saint Maud. Mm. Yeah. You know, death anxiety is a hell of a drug. I can imagine. I can only imagine. Um, 
and then, uh, yeah, then Maud breaks as well. The actually the god gets, which we saw from the face uh, melting in an ecstatic pleasure, becomes pure misery. Oh my god, this um, uh, this could have all been wrong. I could have been completely on the wrong track here. I am completely broken. And her face melts in the same way. But this is just purely Morpheus acting to show complete sorrow and loss in that moment. Yeah. Despair. Again, more through quite people, physical acting, brilliant. Um, and then turns horror genre. Yes. Uh, the devil yeah, <laughs> um, Amanda is, mm, air quotes, <laughs> possessed by the devil. And oh, it was that easy, was it? That's all it took to break you. And then we start getting into she's the physical demon, like a Jennifer Healy with a physicality crawling across the bed like she's possessed straight out of any horror genre possession film you could name. Um, and uh, yes, a pure horror genre moment. Then the scissors, as I mentioned before, mm -hmm. the sound motif, the visual motif. Morphin jumps on her and starts stabbing the shit out. She really goes for it. She's like so speedy. Yeah. Just like. Yeah, really goes for it. But then the genius of the other way it's shot and the editing snap the break from horror genre to psychological horror is so quick that you actually see the you actually can see on film how this is all seen through Maud's eyes this whole story unreliable narration par excellence <laughs> yeah because you see her um even i think even the light and the colorization changed as well it was dulled down a little bit as well for the next frame where you see the scissors sticking out of the man's neck and her dead <laughs> yeah um and then we're straight back into the delusion i am the saint i have done well i have um well and that was very ambiguous as whether she is actually what have i done to yes god i have done your divine purpose so she's going down the stairs she's it's slow, ecstasy, it's slow down, down. But, it, but that moment that those that slow down moment yeah i think you could read it's like i don't know what did you read from the moment um, doubt or the doubt and ecstasy at the same time? On, on my second viewing, I don't remember from the first okay. viewing, okay. but on the second viewing, it looked to me more uh, just straight up that religious ecstasy again, which was her sign of, yeah. yes, I've done right. Yeah. And I, you know, I could be misreading that. They could have been bits that I was missing, but. I don't know, I don't know. I don't but know. to me, it, it looks as though she yeah. is. Content, yeah. satisfied, yeah, with with her actions. I know I accept that as well. I accept that as well because I think the way that it's shot there, and the way that there has been this ambiguous double play in that moment as well, could be read either way, and I wouldn't be mad at either reading either. You know what I mean? Um, regardless of that, we get back to the Vincent, uh, and. Um, and Maud feels that she has done wrong anyway after this. Uh, sorry, done right after this. <laughs> she has done right, yeah. Um, she has filmed, uh, done God's work, yeah. Followed God's word, uh, done what God has asked her to do, what Nancy the Cockroach.
garbage. So where about that? Is there anything more that you want to bring up? Because we're not going to spoil the very, very end, but we're getting close to the end now. Because this film is only 84 minutes in terms of making a film concise and not waffling on, not padding with unnecessary mm. filler. This is another genius element of this film and how concise it is, how all of this how this ambiguous double play because it is quite a bit does go on and you do feel a lot from it <laughs> yes, a lot is conveyed psychologically metaphysically symbolically within 84 minutes yeah, yeah. oh absolutely yeah, yeah. there's, there's no, not really much in the way of padding or, or no. weight or no. things that we can cut and that's what makes the ending so perfect as it keeps you guessing the whole way through until you get there yeah that being said mm. you know um, I'm I, think I remember you saying you've come across this as well. Uh, even though I think to us when we watched it, there wasn't any ambiguity with the ending. It was like, okay, this yeah, this uh, tells us okay. which side okay. of the tightrope yeah. we were yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, other people still maintained the ambiguity or interpreted the ending differently yeah. to the way that it was intended. Yeah. Mm. So hard. And not talk about the ending. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> there are other things that we can. you know what I mean? Yes. Um, okay. Um, okay. So basically, what happens here going along to the end? Um, Maud, uh, she goes to the beach. She, what was interesting here, do you remember when she was going, um, walking up to Amanda's house, the way it was shot, where we see Coney Island? No, it's not New York, it's Coney Island, Blackpool, England. <laughs> it, does, it does exist. I was confused at the, <laughs> the first viewing with that. Um, when she's walking along to Amanda's house, it's um, you know, wide shot, her purposefully walking down the street. No, no, the extras are looking at her. Now, this time in daylight, you know, the horrible um, Britain reasonable, rational light of the sun. She is walking along in, um, in the same robes and such. Still filled with the same purpose, if you will, or well, well, amount of purpose. Um, people are looking at her going, oh, okay, one of these crazy people on the beach. <laughs> Let's walk away here. Um, and she gets to the beach. Um, okay. I, I, I don't think we even need to talk yeah. about that at all. I think okay. it's getting too close. To it is getting too close. Getting too close to spoiler territory. Yeah. Um, but you know, you were touching on some things that I um, okay, thank you. wanted thank you. to mention a little bit, just with regards to the, the cinematography. Sure. Uh, and you know, there are several shots and scenes where there's this really disorienting, like off kilter. Oh, shots yes. And things like that, where maybe you know things might be on a ninety degree, no, forty five degree angle, and then you know, very slowly tilting back towards um, the standard Yeah, and it's down. flipped upside down, yeah. inverted, <laughs> if you will, at times yes, as well. Yes, yeah. And yeah. just how that adds to that sense of disorientation and mm -hmm. um, dissociation. Yeah, okay. Um, so we don't need to spoil the end, we won't spoil the end, but we're talking about how the ending was misinterpreted, and that is due to the controversy of this film as well, whether or not it is showing that how religion just makes people crazy or how someone who is in deep pain can turn to religion for a sense of purpose and comfort, which I think is the latter as well. Um, 
And I think the tragedy really is being alone and not being able to connect in the tragic places that can go. I think that's really what Rose Glass was talking about. I've heard say that, and I think that's evident in the film. Um, now, I want to say that with the horror genre elements was really important. Rose felt it was very important to put those in there because if it had just been straight drama, yeah, it would have been too tragic and it would have been too on the nose towards religion, yeah. Um, and that ambiguity um, is where people are getting their divided opinions about the ending of what the intent and approach of this film actually was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you think? I think that's a that's a fair analysis. Um, I don't know if I have anything to add to that. Mm. Unfortunately, while I was listening to you, I wasn't thinking of what I was going to say next. And so now I don't know what I would say next. That's all good. That's all good. Um, <laughs> so I think again, very skillfully using genre in mm. a way to uh, keep the story in check. To keep the story in shape, so what she wanted to communicate as well, because yeah, at the end of the day, she's not shitting on religion, she's yeah. just showing tragic it is to be alone and have no one to talk to when you've gone through something really, really bad, which we both can relate to. I think that's personally why we both connected mm. to this film as well, because we've both been in dark places. Um, yes, because of your intelligence, your experience and knowledge of psychology is why I brought you on, but I also know you felt this film in the same way I did, because those person, person Yes, yes. Yeah. It's the human yeah. bit. The human bit of this mm -hmm. film. Um, and I think with this film, yeah, what, what people maybe, you know, those who are getting caught up in, in the religious aspect and, and feeling like maybe it's, it's shitting on religion, uh, is it could have been any um, delusion or, or belief that she had attached herself to to try and find greater yeah. It didn't have to be Christianity no. and it would have been the same story. No. No. It just happened that, and going back to what we were talking about earlier with the pervasiveness of that, yes. that narrative, yes. that that's a really easy one to, yes. to latch yeah. onto. It's an Anglo-Saxon lived experience and the people behind this film have lived that experience and we're looking through the lens of that lived experience as well. So yes, um, hard not to. Been around quite a few decades couple of thousand years <laughs> of influence now yeah. as well. A huge yeah. part of yeah, our cultural stories that yeah. we really yeah. 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 can't escape it. Yeah. But yeah, a, a, an in-depth character study of a woman's journey through severe, a severe mental health, mental illness episode with yeah. no support. And what a genius way to treat a possession for you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I know mental mental illness can feel This is a very insightful, mm. unique way to Good do a possession. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love the exorcist, of course. <laughs> this is a this, yeah. Um, this one's a bit more nuanced. This is a bit more nuanced. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, this film is out there as well. Um, it did disappear for a while in the vacuum that was 2020, <laughs> but it is available as well. Get a VPN Australia, you'll find it absolutely. Or you can or you rent, rent it. it as well. Um, on the internet. Uh, yeah. Um,
Everything else you want to say? I think we've done pretty well. I, I think, think I've well. covered yeah. the main points that I put on my notes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been good. It's been good. I think that I've covered everything that I wanted okay. to say. Uh, I think we worked fairly smoothly to get there together. You know, a um, couple of points we both went off here. Where are we? But that happens in <laughs> such a... That just happens you know, when we have a chat. Exactly. Exactly. That is human conversation. And it's been a good one, definitely. I would um, uh, thank you very much for joining me here. Thank you for uh, having me here in our living room. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, I will definitely, would definitely like to have you back um, in the future. Hereditary, I want to look at, and I think you're a perfect person would talk about psychological horror again with quite an ending. <laughs> and well. another one with a lot of, um, you know, you can look at analogies for mental illness. And, yeah, you can. Yeah, as well. It's just the psychological horror that the, uh, yeah. the protagonists will go through. And masterful filmmaking again, definitely. Yeah. Um, before, okay, um, let's do the rating first. Right. Okay, let's do rating first. Okay. Um, what do you thought harder about this? That's right. Now, let's um, let me do a little preamble. Let's learn about scurrilous, morbid works of art out of seven. Uh, now, I'll, I'll do mine first. You just want to have a little. Yeah? Yes. Tinker in the brain there? Yeah? Okay. Um, I was really tempted to give it a seven. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> tempted to give it a seven. It is near perfection for me. I haven't given anything a seven yet. It is so goddamn close. Um, No, I need, I, I need to be, I know when something would be a seven, when it's near perfection, there's been about seven or so films in my entire life that I've watched where I go, I can't afford this at all. This is so goddamn close though. Um, it's my podcast, so I'm going to go 6.9. It is missing one black petal <laughs> of the flower of evil there to be the absolute seven out of seven flowers people there. Uh, yeah. Beth, what say you? Yes. Um, this was a film that was the first one in a couple of years that I was, yeah, you know, sure. we, we finished watching the film and we both just kind of sat there for a second and we're just like, mm. wow. Mm. Uh, which is something that I've been missing. You know, there, there have been some really great ones in the last few years, but I was desperate for one that I was like, oh, yeah. yes. Okay. Uh, so I have to give this one a pretty high score as well. Um, because I have to leave room, uh, I'm just going to say a six, um, not because I can think of anything to particularly critique or deduct points for, but just because I don't want to give a perfect score. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, just, just off the bat, but, but uh, Rose Glass, if this is your first film, I'm oh. really keen to see what you're doing next. Like, once you actually get feature filmmaking experience, and people start giving you a bit of more scroll, it have a bit more freedom to play. Yes. Wow, <laughs> and, and you know, if you want to talk about Bechdel tests and things like that, like this, this movie, there's like the only male characters are incidental. Like mm. it's very female centric. Yeah, yeah, um, yes. Yeah. So thank you for coming on to keep my male centricism in check <laughs> when I'm looking at this film. It is invaluable. <laughs> it is invaluable. I can't help it. <laughs> you are a man. I so look for that man. But it is good to have the bifocal action going on. <laughs> Just. Okay, now. 
the gimmick of the podcast, the sin scale. So it's called Sin of Salon with an S. So we have to go through these seven deadly sins. And what a perfect movie for the Sin of Salon in this sense as well, certainly. Okay, now, the first one that we look at is a vain glory or pride. Beth, did St. Maud demonstrate vain glory or pride? I think it did to some extent in uh, Maud's self-righteousness and where she becomes judgmental of others. Uh, it is within okay. a context of, I think, there's a lot of projection yep. going yep. on okay. there and her judgment of others is a rejection of those things in herself. Mm -hmm. um, but there is kind of this, yeah, self-righteousness in her piety. So okay. I think perhaps, yes. Very good, very good, because I also see it in Amanda mm -hmm. as well. Like, um, she doesn't want to be... Uh, Ugly. Ugly, she doesn't want to be seen as weak or pathetic mm. as well. Um, you took trying to save my soul a bit far, didn't you? Didn't mm. you? Is what you mean? I paraphrase what yes, she yes, says yes. to her, says to Maud. So, yeah, pride is evident. Okay, number two, greed or covetousness? Not overtly. Um, I mean, there's some hedonism and uh, yeah, uh, not Dionysus. Greed, though. Dionysian, like, but not, not coveting. Um, but I don't think there's any examples yeah. of greed. Yeah, okay, so that's uh, so no greed or covetousness. Uh -huh. mm. Lust or inordinate or illicit sexual desire? I think there is lust, it's uncomfortable lust, though. It's lust and the rejection of that lustfulness. So, you know, mm. where. Um, where Maud is so judgmental of the sexual behaviours of others, as well as also that slight hinted at uh, attraction between her yeah. and uh, Amanda. Yeah. Um, I think it is there and it is part of what makes Maud's experience complex. Oh, yes, 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 it's quite a big factor, isn't it? All that in mind, absolutely. <laughs> and you can throw Amanda and uh, Carol? Yes, thank you. Yes, yes. She doesn't look like a cow. No, she doesn't. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're, they're a frivolous friendship. <laughs> they're, they're friendly to play. Um, okay, number four, envy. I think maybe. Um, you know, I think Maud is yeah. envious of Amazing. the ease, also the ease with which others yeah. have connection. And she wants Amanda to herself to some extent to have mm -hmm. that yeah, connection yeah, even yeah. between them. Um, envy of Carol, which is yeah, I think a large part of the driving factor of why she tells her to go away. Um, I'm say it's yeah, yeah, I know say it's basically yeah, yeah, you said it perfectly there. I can't add anything to that. Uh, gluttony, which is usually understood to include include drunkenness. No, not really. I mean, uh, I mean, there is there is drunkenness, but I don't think it's I think it's so incidental and cool part of the Wow, speaking of. Speaking of, thank you, perfect timing. Um, we have all the doors and windows shut to, to try and keep the same. There is at the start when she's trying to save a uh, always trying to save Amanda from herself, pouring out the alcohol bottles, mm. don't drink too, make sure she doesn't drink too much. But it's not. And, but, then, and when she goes out herself and comes home staggering, it's used. Yeah. 
but it's not in a way that's shown to be overly indulgent to be a, like a prominent factor, a, them a thematic element of the film. But because Amanda's just doing what anyone else would be doing, as we said at the start, it's not anything extreme. It's just seen as extreme by Maud on her little mission. So I'm going to say no. Yes, I'm going to say no, because these are sins we're talking about here. Uh, wrath or anger? I think there is some. Um, so where... Uh, and really the only example I can think of is where Maud slaps Amanda. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a um, massive offence and, and, and rage, I think, there. And, and that comes back to the brutalness of yeah. her faith that she lashes out. Mm. But, but then that makes me question gluttony, though, as well. Whether it's only yeah. accidental. You know what I'm saying? Than, mm. it's, it's, not, it's not a... Unless you ever really go into it and look at how all of the, the self-harm that Maud engages in, which is largely a self-punishment, which could be seen as anger and, and just uh, turned inwards. Yeah. But it's not demonstrative. This is that seems demonstrative. Like it, it's it's not it's not the big. So just because if because I know what you're saying, and we can go into a very nuanced rabbit hole. <laughs> so let's just keep it like in the terms of demonstration. All right, we're going to say if we say no for gluttony, we're, we're going to say, say no for wrath. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, and finishing off, um, sloth. No, no, not even a little bit. Sloth doesn't appear much. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Seven. We'll, yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. Episode seven is coming. Can you guess what it will be? <laughs> okay, so just to uh, backtrack there to go through the checklist. Uh, vain, glory, or pride? Yes. Uh, greed or covetousness? Yes. Lust or inordinate or illicit sexual desire? We would say yes with that, yes. Envy, no. No. We did say yes to envy. Yes. It is wrath and... Uh, but, but, oh, oh, wow. no. Trying to do four that way is... I can't make my little thing. We said yes to envy. Gluttony, we said no to. And wrath, we said no to. And sloth, we said no to. So four out of seven. Not bad. That's over 50%. That is over 50%. That is over 50%. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, we're doing seven next. Seventh episode. Um, sorry, it's been a bit of a hiatus busy real life going to try and get back more to a more regular output there so thank you for sticking with me Sinise as well follow up at the cinema salon on Facebook and Instagram shout out to that's not canon productions and dark satellite media for um, giving my podcast a home on the interwebs for being my podcast networks there um, you want them to follow you anywhere um don't follow me to the bathroom. Don't follow to the bathroom. Keep that in mind. You never know where we live. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that uh, the doors of the cinema salon are now closed. And that is a wrap on uh, Rose Glass's fantastic 2019 film, St. Maud, Fade to Black. Life is a horror movie.
travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.